0: And I'm grateful for every chef that supported us, they, who shops here, who teaches here, who's been a part of um, this business being what it is. And it's absolutely 100% my team who's behind me that makes it amazing.
1: Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Atlanta Foodcast. Mary Moore is a true powerhouse here in the Atlanta culinary community. And I could tell you all about how much she has accomplished here in the city, but I'm going to leave that to you listening to this episode. Now, Mary and I sat and we talked through her story in grave detail, and it's a good one. Now, she has so many stories, and she knows everyone who has graced any kitchen or restaurant of note here in Atlanta, and much, much, much more. So, here's Mary Moore, founder of The Cook's Warehouse. Coming in here, and I mean, there's just, there's so much like happening, you know, but you. It's. I think it's really cool. I wasn't actually expecting to like walk in and see, you know, like you guys actually have a cooking class going yeah, on. Yeah, kids so running around. <laughs> I know. Is yeah. that something that happens in the summertime?
0: It is. We do 16 weeks of summer camp for kids. Oh my and gosh. And you're happening happening to catch the uh, six to nine year
1: olds. Oh my gosh. What were they cooking today? Do you know?
0: You know, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that, yeah. but we could ask the chef. I know yeah. they're doing pizza tomorrow. Homemade oh, pizzas. That's really fun. And they actually they cooked with chickpeas today, but oh, I don't man. know what exactly. That's it was. It's Good. Expanding they do real food. Yeah,
1: expanding the knowledge, man. That's yes. really good. But pizza is usually the hook, you know. Like oh yeah. I can make pizza dough, and that's all that you really need. Cause if you can make pizza yourself, I mean, there's obviously still magic with getting like pizza delivered, but right. uh, yeah, it's cool. But man, <laughs> but
0: I d- it's much better if you make it
1: yourself. Oh no, hundred percent, hundred percent. And you're controlling
0: it. the ingredients. Exactly. Yeah. So,
1: you know, you can put like, you know, spotted trotter meat on there if you wanted exactly. to. Exactly. Yes.
0: Much different pizza. So the kids, they cook Monday, Wednesday, Friday, um, different types of cuisine each day. Mm-hmm. Then they do an iron chef style competition on Thursdays oh my gosh. and they are all in. We have different celebrity chefs from around the city that come in and um, Judge. So we've had That's Kevin amazing. Gillespie Judge. Oh, Ellen how Hopkins, fun. You know, just different awesome chefs who like love to come in and engage.
1: Great way to make friends it and is. also a great way to ruin friendships as exactly. well.
0: Exactly. <laughs> you are on and my, my it, team and now you're not. Right. And they, uh, they cook for their parents on Fridays.
1: That is awesome. Yeah. That is so cool. But, man... Mary Moore, it is so good to have you on the Atlanta Foodcast. Welcome to thank the show. You. Thank, thank, you thank you for you. being here. This I'm, is awesome. I'm
0: thrilled. Well, and, and I I've, love your podcast. Oh, thank
1: you so much. I, I, hey, that's that's really all I need to hear. We can actually end right now. Have right. a great day, everybody. <laughs> Goodbye. Um, but no, I've, I've actually been a huge fan of yours. I've been a, I've been a customer for many years between here, Decatur. Uh, we've always lived on the east side of town, so thank you. Um, Cook's Warehouse has definitely been a place that we have. Uh, visited for wares that we need, even ones that we don't necessarily need, but it's nice to Perfect. have, uh, yes. and especially for gifts. But man, this place is really, really something, and I'm really excited to just get into your story. I think you have an amazing tale to tell, and I know a lot about your background. But um, you know, I uh, w- one thing that I do with every guest on the show before we get started is I want to dive like. Even deeper into your background. So okay. um, before we get into a lot of the specifics, the first question I have for you is I want to know who cooked for you growing up and what kind of cook was he or she?
0: So I was super fortunate to grow up on a farm west of Atlanta in between Douglasville and Hiram. Oh, it my gosh. Route 2, Highway 92. Oh, my gosh. So is the farm still there? Nowhere. The farm is still there. That's amazing. Um, not a lot has grown up around it. There's some sort of subdivisions. It's suburbanized a little bit, but there's really not a whole lot around it. Um... It was a working farm when I was young, and we raised broiler chickens and cows and pigs. Wow! So we Is anyone
1: still call it a broiler chicken?
0: Yeah, you know you don't really see that. You I see mean, fryer I know, chickens I know, more.
1: I know that term, but like yeah. it just like that seems like something that people should use more because it actually sounds way cooler than you think. You know?
0: <laughs> they should call it an oven roasted chicken yeah, actually, yeah. or a beer can chicken. A beer can. We chicken, raised yeah. beer can chickens. We, yeah, and
1: that's it. We specialize <laughs> right. in that. Yeah. So um,
0: we we had the, you know we'd get the chicks and we'd keep them for nine weeks and then they would go off um we didn't talk about where they went off to but we had 25,000 at a time whoa so it was pretty amazing we had two chicken houses and wow uh, then the cows that we had were just cows that we used for our own personal eating and um you know just to have some were like pets wow my brothers and I have two older brothers and we would uh before school we would mix up the the little calf food, and there were three little bulls we had at one time, and we'd have to go feed them. We had these big baby bottles, essentially, huge baby bottles, and we'd mix up their little um, milk formula in them, and then go down and feed the bulls before you go to school.
1: Oh, my gosh. Super fun. That's yeah. so cool. And see, that's the kind of story that, like, you just, you're not going to ever be able to shake that from your memory. No. That's amazing.
0: It, it was the foundation. Growing up on that farm, because we raised all our own vegetables, too, and we, as a family, we would go out and... Um, Uh, plant the field, you know, get the field ready and we'd plant it and we'd harvest it together and we'd sit around and shuck corn and and, uh, string beans and it was really fun to do. And we ate fresh food, like fresh chicken eggs every morning. We had chickens, we had the chicken houses but we also had chickens in our backyard. We kept 30 to 50 chickens in a coop in the backyard. And I was always afraid of getting the eggs. <laughs> I usually let my
1: brothers do that. Yeah, it's it's a precarious process they do, sometimes. Yeah, yeah when they you're be really little out. and
0: they're trying to peck you, it's not so much fun. Yeah, but.
1: I've I've had the pleasure of um, of house sitting for some friends before, and they always, they had a chicken coop and. Every morning they would, you know, they would lay every day and it was only maybe seven hens, but I would have to deter them with like a red pepper, you know, like, right. hey guys, and then kind of throw <laughs> right. it off to the side and hope they scurry away. And then you jump in there real quick and, you know, get out of there as fast as you can. But exactly. yeah, it's kind of scary sometimes, but then yeah. the payoff is huge. Yeah, it is. is. Yeah, it is. Yeah.
0: We didn't have a hog. We had a, about a 300 pound hog in the backyard and uh, it did bite my oldest brother and literally ripped the hole out of the back of his jeans oh my gosh i know and then the hogs i mean suddenly kind of disappeared and we had a freezer full of sausage <laughs> and
1: tenderloins I was like, like there's no more perfect event to um to make some back bacon everybody <laughs> right, yeah exactly. let's just get into it um what kind of eater were you as a kid
0: um I, you know, I was a pretty good eater, but I do recall a few times being forced to sit at the dinner table and not being able to leave and go watch TV with everybody else because I didn't eat my peas or broccoli or something.
1: Yeah. So even I, even I, though it's coming fresh from the farm, yeah. like there's still an aversion. It was it's a little.
0: Hard. I was a little picky here and there. Yeah. But ha- I ha- eat anything now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, having kids of my own, it's it's a challenge. You know, yeah. it's definitely a challenge. But I, you know, I I grew up a super picky eater, and um, I always just love to know that. You know, just of. You know, you can, you can start with such a discerning palate at a very early age. And it's just because, it's not because you have an aversion, it's just you're just kind of turned off by the way that things tasted, you know, right. but then, you know, well onto your adult years now. I've, there's nothing that you'll really turn down I yeah. still don't like horseradish though I have a really big problem with horseradish I'm
0: not a fan either no. it's the it's the so I love hot food I love yeah. spicy I love hot but I don't like wasabi I'm not a fan of horseradish because it it infiltrates your nose you know it just goes into your head makes your eyes water yeah and so it's that sensation that I'm not a fan of Wow. I'd yeah. rather have the heat down the back of my throat. Yeah,
1: I'm with you there. It's uh, it's hard, but maybe there's someone out there who's gonna like completely just you know flip the switch for me with with horseradish one day. But they might. Um, yeah, but maybe.
0: really, to answer your question, so I was lucky um, growing up. My great aunt and great uncle lived off the same driveway that my family did, mm-hmm. and then my grandmother and great aunt, other great aunt, lived one driveway over. So it really was kind of a family compound, and they all cooked, and my mom cooked too. My mom was a great cook. Um, so I cooked a lot with her, but I cooked a lot with my great aunts and my grandmother. That's when awesome. I would go to my grandmother's house, she'd say, what do you want to do? And instead of playing a game or something, I'd want to cook with her. So she would take down a cookbook and she would let me pick any recipe and we would cook together. Wow.
1: What was the recipe you were cooking with your grandma?
0: Usually, um, we'd usually bake. So we okay. baked angel food cakes and red velvet cakes and gingerbread men and women and, you know, all kinds of different things. Yeah. I love to bake with her and my great aunt, my dad would kill a chicken And then I would go to my great aunt's house and we would clean it and cook it. I mean, we had fresh chicken, oven roasted chicken.
1: Oh, man. Was fried chicken something that you guys were doing? On a regular basis,
0: uh, I don't know about regular, but probably it's Sunday is usually Sunday, yeah. Because yeah. we always had like a family picnic,
1: yeah. That, see, and growing up, that was always like the family meal, you know. Even if yeah. it was just like a bucket, you know, of chicken from right. wherever, yeah. It was always a Sunday thing, and it always just seemed right, and it probably just tasted the way that it should you right. know, on a Sunday. Yeah, exactly. But um, it was always that, or we were like slow smoking something, but, yeah, yeah. But man, growing up on a farm, I can only imagine that. I mean, that is just like true salt of the earth kind of cooking, you know, just. I mean, the way that something tastes when it comes out of the ground that you've grown and you've actually put your own work into it, it yeah. it's so different. It is so, so, so different. Even if you just grow herbs like on your terrace and you live in an apartment, you know, in Midtown, that basil tastes different than you just go get it at the grocery store. It really you does. Know? Yeah, and it's, it's getting lost, I think, on, on so many people. You know, even if, uh, I mean, you don't have to live close to the city just to, you know, be missing out. Like, it's yeah. it's just becoming almost, you know, there's there's some things that are becoming more of a lost art. So.
0: I agree. But I'm optimistic. I mean, we have such an impressive um, farm farming community and farming scene and mm-hmm. farmer's market community around Atlanta. I'm really optimistic that some of those flavors are going to come back. And, I mean, they are coming back. You have to seek them out more. But I think it's touching more people. And it's introducing more people to what food should taste like. As opposed to a factory carrot that's been sitting in a bag for three or four weeks before you even get to it, you know, and there's not much r- nutritional value left, nor flavor. Um, there's a big difference, and I think you know, it just takes tasting it a few times to get hooked on it.
1: Yeah, and I, I think it's it's such a boon to your life that you grew up on a farm. I mean, when you talk about appreciation and, you know, especially knowing the the deep agricultural roots of Georgia and how verdant the South is. And I had a conversation with someone pretty recently just about, you know, when you think of the South and you think of cuisine, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is not, you know, the stereotypical like, oh, it's all like, you know, pulled pork and fried chicken and, you know, I, that's, like, the last, th- not the last thing, but it's not the first thing that yeah. I would really tell someone is, I mean, I, th- I think of, like, how much farm, and to me, the first thing that I think of is, like, you know, it'd be something like boiled peanuts, you yeah. know, or just something. Watermelon. That, yeah, or watermelon. Like blueberries, something, blueberries. Yeah, vegetables. Some, yeah, big time. And yeah. Something that's actually grown in the dirt, you yeah. know, and. It's um, it's just really funny, you know, when uh, when you start talking about like how how readily available there are so many hardworking, creative people, you know, not even thirty minutes outside of Atlanta, you know, right. as long as you hit traffic, right? But, right. <laughs> um, but it's just right there, pretty much on your doorstep. But um, that's so cool to hear. So, but yeah. th- so the family's not on the farm anymore.
0: No. No, it's been a long time since it's been a working farm. Gotcha. Unfortunately, but it's, you know, maybe one day I can Mm -hmm. return
1: to those roots. We'll see. Uh, You've got plenty of connections, though, Mary. I don't think you're going to have to struggle too (laughs) hard to get Back out onto a farm, but <laughs> I'm right. I'm sure yeah. I could call a few friends say, like, and they'd
0: say, "Yeah, come help." Yeah, they're like, "Actually, I need
1: you uh, right now. Like, <laughs> right. come on over." But, um, but tell me a little bit about. So you're growing up on the farm right outside yeah. of Atlanta. So you're you grow up, and what's the next step?
0: I know. So I. So it's interesting because I never thought that I would be in the food industry when I was a kid. That was not an aspiration. It's not what I was thinking about. Um, Incredible at the Farm was really such an amazing foundation for me and really plays a big role in how my culinary world has expanded. But um, I wasn't thinking about it. My dad was an entrepreneur. He had his own business. He had a cast marble manufacturing company. And my brothers and I worked for him in that business. Wow. So so I learned, um, you know, making a cast marble sink is sort of like baking a cake. You know, you put in the marble dust and the resin and a catalyst and some color and then you pour it into a mold and it sets up, and then a sink pops out. That's incredible. Yeah.
1: <laughs> wow. Kind of amazing. And this is I in Georgia? Still,
0: oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot of ca- – well, Georgia, North Georgia is marble country. So there's a lot of marble, natural marble that comes out, but also a lot of mar- marble dust as a result of all the marble mining.
1: Wow. I've, I've, yeah. I would have never guessed at all, like a cast, mar- like almost yeah. like cast iron. Yeah, you know, and um, it's amazing. I mean, when you when you start diving into some of the history of Atlanta and you start talking about cast iron, especially with railroad and you know, like where stoves in people's you know cabins came from, you know, it's it's really fun to like. Like, walk people through the process of how that stuff is made. But I never knew that about marble. Yeah. Maybe I need to up my marble game. <laughs>
0: I don't know God. about that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't look, like a, marble. I don't look yeah. like a marble guy. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. Okay, so you're working for your dad I'm for a little cool. while. Yeah,
0: And and so that really gave me the bug for wanting to have my own business one day. I didn't know what. And I actually started my first business at 16. I started, there was a guy named Dowie who uh, ran a store in douglasville and he made the most incredible sandwiches like really fresh made artisanally made sandwiches and he had hot dogs too that everybody loved but people didn't really have access to where he was during lunchtime so i started a delivery business
1: you were the first uber eats
0: (laughs) i know right
1: (laughs) (laughs) if only i had
0: been thinking technology back then but this was you know we're talking about early 80s sure so um that was a lot of fun and I still, you know, helped my dad and learned how to do payroll and learned how to, the business side of it and wrote checks and so that was what was in my mind as um running my own business just not knowing what to do. So, I went to work at um Mori Luggage and Gifts in retail. I did that my like junior and senior year in high school and that was a great experience too. So, I kind of understood retail and got a feel for that, never knowing that I would ultimately wind up in retail either. Then went on to college and um, Started to, I needed to work my way through college, you know, pay for my school. I went to Georgia State. And so I thought, what can I do in the least amount of time for the most amount of money Hmm. that I could tell my grandmother about, right? You got to be careful what that says. Right, sure. So So, wait tables, clear answer. Mm -hmm. Um, Started waiting tables, did not like it at all. You either have the personality for it, I think, or you don't. And I just wasn't into it. But the, so I waited tables for about a month, didn't like it, but I kept watching the kitchen. And I was so excited about what they were doing and interested in what they were doing. And that's really where I wanted to be. So a month in, I told my manager, this isn't working out. I, I need to do something else. I don't, I don't want to wait tables, so I'm going to give you my notice. And he said, the, the people who own the, the restaurant really like you and they want you to stay. What would you like to do? what a gift right we have these moments in life where people just hand you gifts that you don't even understand at the time but what a gift that they said we want you here so i said it is amazing it's truly amazing and so this is shelly um who ran ship fifers on peachtree no fancy food at all but it was the original fast casual kind of a euro place gotcha and i said i want to be in the kitchen and work monday through friday full time so i can go to school at night and he said great So I worked there. I went to the kitchen. I loved it. I loved prepping all the vegetables. I loved cooking. I loved every part about it. And I became friends with um, Lynn um, and Julie, who worked next door at R. Thomas. Lynn Sawicki, who went on to um, Float Away and Bacchanalia and opened her own place, Sawicki's Meat, Seafood, and More, Mm -hmm. in downtown Decatur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's done a bunch of stuff. And we both worked at Harry's together later. And we worked at Partners in Indigo together. But that's how I wound up there. So... They were doing very interesting food at R. Thomas, but they had both left and went to Indigo. And they said, and and at this point, I was about a year and a half in, and I was the shift manager. So they recognized potential in me to be able to manage and handle the business, not just the food part of it. So that was a good opportunity for me to learn and grow. But I really wanted to do real food. And so they said, why don't you apply at Indigo and Partners? And I said, great, because then they were the hottest restaurants in Atlanta. I mean, we won Best of Atlanta every single year. So I went to Indigo and Partners, and I applied and got a job. Wow! And that's where the real food world started yeah. for me.
1: And what year was this?
0: That was um, 1988.
1: 1988. Mm-hmm. Man, I was gonna say. I mean, like I, you know, the it, it's it's really cool reading so much about your background and I mean thankfully there's plenty of options out there to read about you Mary <laughs> <Uh-oh>. which is <laughs> really great <laughs> doing research about you before having oh, you on no. the show but um, but no I mean just but thinking about you know someone's experience and then you put yourself in what year that is so if we're talking 1988 I know. what in the world was Atlanta like in 1988
0: it was a completely different place I can you only could imagine you could get from A to B in five minutes not 20. So there's a big difference, right? right?
1: Or more. But the, yeah, exactly. 20, 20 plus or <laughs> minus 45. <laughs> exactly.
0: But the restaurant scene was, I mean, there weren't that many great restaurants. There were a few, but it's nothing like it is today. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible, the difference. And there were little pockets of opportunities to go out to a really nice dinner, but it just wasn't even close to where it is. Yeah. Now, and it wasn't, I mean, there weren't nearly as many people here. Actually, there were more people living in in the city at that point than there are right now today in terms of city of Atlanta, uh, population and density. But so many people, you know, commute and work here and commute in and go to restaurants that Metro Atlanta is much bigger.
1: Yeah. So if it wasn't like Indigo, what was a restaurant you guys were going to back in the late eighties?
0: Oh gosh. We'd go to, um, Camille's was always awesome down the road. And then, um, I'm drawing to blank because, I was working so hard in the late 80s, and here it is, <laughs> 2018. We <were> always, <laughs> always eating at the restaurant. Um, <laughs> no, we were. You know where we went a lot of times would be to Highland Tap after our oh, shift. Oh, wow. You know, because you'd finish at midnight, oh, 2 yeah. o'clock on the Saturday, and Highland Tap was open, and they had amazing burgers and loaded baked potatoes and, you know, yeah. maybe a drink or two. Yeah, um, or but just two. We just went to, yeah, we went to Highland Tap a lot. Um, what is the place where La Tavola is now? I can't believe I can't think of the name of it was there forever it was amazing hmm. awesome and then there was a dessert place that was incredible um, Nikolai's roof was amazing back then that oh, was the yeah. hot you couldn't I mean it's six six month wait to get yeah. into that restaurant you and talk it's, about a place with history it's too. it's still man. open today now, which is and amazing. it's the only four diamond for I think it's 28 or 29 years in a row now restaurant in this city yeah still yeah and people don't even think about it there's a young chef there um, Stephanie who's amazing mm-hmm. so for a date night out. I highly recommend that one. Yeah. Um,
1: it's amazing. I remember, um, I remember writing a piece a couple of years ago about just a list of restaurants that were celebrating 25 or more years oh, yeah. in business, and just restaurants. Yeah, this isn't just businesses; just restaurants right. in Atlanta. Right. And the list is incredible. I'll have to yeah. pick it up and and go back through it. And this was 2014, probably. So now yeah. you're four years past. but. Um, but it was awesome going through that list, and you just like you had no idea like I had no idea this restaurant was thirty three years old, exactly. you know, or, or just something. But yeah. um, but man, and just to to think that you know people were eating at these restaurants back in the late eighties, and that was like the hottest place to go.
0: Yeah. Oh, and know? the Peasant Restaurant Group was huge back then. Mm-hmm. So going to the Pleasant Peasant downtown or Dailies, and then there was Panos and Pauls and. You know, Hedros and Buckhead, but yeah, the the whole peasant chain was super hot. I remember going to, I went to the Pleasant Peasant before prom. You know, that was like the (laughs) the place to go. That's awesome. And every Friday night after football games, we'd drive into town and go to the mix that was right next door. Mm -hmm. You know, off of Linden there and get milkshakes and eat. Yeah, it was so much fun. And it's
1: just so cool hearing about what Atlanta was like. I mean, I guess for maybe someone who knows Atlanta from afar, you know, they they might look at it more kind of polarizing of like everything uh, <laughs> pre pre 1996, like pre 96 Olympics, and yeah. then it's like. Atlanta experienced what it was like to be a big city in the Southeast, like from 1997 on, you know, right. and, but it's amazing hearing just, you know, the way that, that people lived. I mean, I, I drew McBath from banner butter and he grew up in Decatur, you know? So yeah. he was talking about like, man, you just didn't drive down Ponts where Pont city market is like, oh, no. and now, now it's like an amazing, I mean, it, it's really more of like one of the more artful and it just, everything feels like a production, Yeah, but hearing him talk about what it was like back in the eighties, he's like, you if, if you had to get out of your car to fix your flat tire, like you didn't want to, no, you know, but right, <laughs> right, exactly. It's just funny to hear that, but um, big yeah.
0: changes West Side too. I mean, no way yeah. that you would go to the West Side for anything.
1: Yeah, it's incredible. There was nothing to go to. Right. Yeah, yeah. and look where we are now, right? Yeah. But um, so man, you so you're working at Indigo, and mm-hmm. this is 1988. Um, and I love that you were start, You started front of the house and you made your way to the back of the house. Oh,
0: yeah, almost immediately. <laughs>
1: but, but what positions did you love the most in the so, back of the house?
0: Um, so at Indigo, I started out just like day prep chef, shucking oysters and peeling vegetables and, you know, doing all the grunt work. But I worked through every position in the kitchen and wound up being a kitchen manager and expediter, which I loved. So I guess the two, the two positions I loved the most, one was day chef at partner's. Because the day chef, there was only one person that went in and did everything. You made all the soups and the sauces, the desserts, God, that's a ton um, of, work. all the prep work for the evening, every day. And that was super fun. I loved that job. I would yeah. just you know, put on NPR and listen to <laughs> Lois Wright's and great music and just cook all day by myself. It was great. And then at um, Indigo, I was the expediter and kitchen manager. And the really fun thing about that job is we had a um, ticketless system in the kitchen.
1: So Whoa. the
0: expediter was the only person to get the ticket. And then you called and timed everything to each station.
1: Now, that and it is was like, like true cooking yeah, right there, Yeah. Oh, my man. gosh.
0: I mean, it was like conducting <laughs> an orchestra, really.
1: Yeah. It, it
0: was kind of somewhere in between a really fast-paced video game yeah. and conducting an orchestra. Yeah. it was just really fun i loved that role
1: yeah i've never worked in a kitchen like that where you know it's fire one lobster you know like, yeah exactly like i i mean I would take it would take me a long time but thinking about putting myself in that situation i would just maybe crumble under the pressure yeah well
0: (laughs) you either do or you don't right you're you're built for that or you're not yeah and
1: it's definitely I mean you don't see many kitchens that are built in that fashion nowadays. yeah you don't but what an incredible experience it's a pressure cooker yeah Yeah.
0: and I I I love fast pace I mean I guess I learned how to handle stress really well at a young age and and all that was just energy for me
1: yeah yeah how long were you in the kitchen at Indigo
0: um I left there in 93 93. So I was there for a long time. And I loved, I mean, I loved the saute station too and the grill station. I mean, I I just loved cooking. Yeah. So conducting was fun, but also being a part of the, you know, a cog in the wheel and doing the cooking part was super fun. Yeah. But the expediter always made all the sauces and, um, you know, got all the garnishes ready and things like that too. So it wasn't completely removed from food.
1: Yeah. So where, where was next for you?
0: So next was Harry's Farmer's Market. And so here's how beautiful life is because... You know, some people, especially when you're younger, um, tend to get stressed about what am I going to do with my life and where am I going to go. And I still had this passion about uh, having my own business, but I really wasn't sure what it was going to be. So I was getting a business degree concurrently with um, working full time and felt like that was a good foundation no matter, matter what I did. And as I was cooking, I... I developed great relationships with different people and you know, you interviewed Delia champion. She, we were there at the same time and love her. There were more entrepreneurs that came out of that group at partners in Indigo. It's just a, an amazing ecosystem. Alex Kanegi is definitely somebody I'd recommend for one of your podcasts. Cause she was like the, not the godfather, but the godmother of so many different entrepreneurs in the food scene yeah. in Atlanta. Sort of like uh, Pano was too. Yeah, You know, so many people came out of that, but yeah. Um, I cooked often for Scott Peacock. He used to come in a lot, and he would eat. And he called me one day, and he said, "I've gone to work at Harry's Farmers Market, on the research and development team." And he said, "I would love for you to come and uh, interview for the job. I love the way you sprinkle salt." <laughs>
1: Was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what, an ama- okay. <laughs> what an amazing thing for someone to say about you. I know. Isn't that funny?
0: <laughs> but you know, it really is. Yeah. Like later, I didn't even figure it out yeah. until later, that he was just so confident in what he saw. Like my passion for what I was doing yeah. and my ability,
1: yeah. all in the way that I sprinkled salt. And that sounds so simple, but at the same time, that's actually very complex i mean you'd expect someone to say like yeah i really love the way that you brunoise shallots right i you know, like because that's really right. important but like the way that you sprinkle salt like that's like reading more into who you are as a person like that's a very cerebral yeah. thing to say it really is way to go scott i wow. know
0: well, he's <laughs> an amazing man right i mean he's done so many incredible things and yeah. i'm forever grateful for him to pick up the phone and make that call to me because i went and interviewed with harry and janet and uh, got that position so i left and i had hit the ceiling at indigo and partners there was nowhere to go but owning the business and that wasn't going to be an opportunity so um i went to harry's and joined the r&d team Wow. And it was really fun. I got a ton of experience there and just different types of, you know, bigger food production. We had a USDA facility. We had a 60,000-square-foot um, bakery. I did the, uh, the NLEA Act of 1993 was implemented while I was there, so all the nutrition labeling. And if you think about what's happening with nu- nutrition labeling today, it's getting more and more intense. But I did the nutrition labeling for all the recipes that we did because we had to have those on the packages. So I led that effort We rolled out, um, I got to work with Edna Lewis, she was on the team.
1: Oh my gosh, talk about another person who's so closely tied to Scott Peacock. Well,
0: absolutely, so he brought her on board too, and we developed a chef's signature case um, for Harry's Farmer's Market Stores. So we opened the Big Cobb store, and then we opened Harry's In a Hurry 2 store on Roswell Road, and so we were developing businesses and opening new businesses all during that time, and working with Edna. and learning her recipes and listening to her every day and hearing her stories about why she did what she did and how she did it and translating those recipes into recipes that other chefs could carry out, you know, every day and that the USDA facility could also manufacture, but still make sure that it maintained the quality and the standards.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I keep hearing, I mean, I feel so lucky, so honored to have so many of the conversations that I do. You know, you mentioned Delia. Mm -hmm. Um, recently, I mean, S- Steven Satterfield on yeah. the show, I mean, like, well, yeah, while we're us. sitting here recording this, like he's the episode that just came out today and it's yeah. a two part episode. And so much of this ties back to what were really the, the I, like, I guess the way that I would put it is just these people who have defined so much of Atlanta dining or being a restaurateur. And at the time it it probably didn't mean that it it wasn't that that wasn't the goal of like, oh, we're thinking to 2018 or 2020. And this is where we want the the restaurant scene to be, you know, but these are just like the the building block stories that like I I just hope that that this becomes more like the common knowledge of like understanding, like why. You know, Scott Peacock is, is who he is and, like, who Edna Lewis is and, like, what Atlanta dining and being a chef and what really mattered to people back in the, you know, late 80s, early 90s, like before you just yeah. went to everywhere and got a, you know, cronut you know, right. or, or whatever. <laughs> right. You know, but just, just before it really meant to be a, a an eater, you know, there was, yeah. there was only one way to really experience good food, and these were the people who were doing it for you, yeah, you know? So, but man, that's, um, that's such a, that's such a cool part of your story. So you're working at Harry's.
0: I'm working at Harry's. And you're working and at Harry's. And, and how the, long were you there? Uh, I was there about a year and a half. Okay. So uh, the story continues to unfold. And, you know, when, when I look, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but looking back on my path, I was always on the perfect path to where I am today. Right. But you, d- you never feel it when you're there. So it's an important thing to sort of have that faith and trust in the process in the world. So I had met Scott and I had met other friends through working at Partners in Indigo, um, made connections with people who would ultimately help me in starting the Cook's Warehouse. Um, So while I was at Harry's, Scott and I were going to New York to cook in the green market on behalf of Harry's. I thought great opportunity. And while I was cooking professionally, I would go to different stores in Atlanta, but I Often I couldn't find the tools that I was looking for. and I didn't feel like there was great customer service or necessarily really passionate people to talk about. You know, I'm just on fire, and I wanted a 9-inch springform pan, and I wanted this, and I wanted that, and there was no Internet shopping, and I never felt like I was met with the same kind of enthusiasm. So Scott and I are headed off to New York, and we're sitting on the bus, you know, riding into the city from Newark or wherever we landed. And I said, did you bring a crepe pan? Because we were going to do crepes. And he's like, oh, no, forgot the crepe pan. And I said, don't worry. I said, I want to go to every store in New York City because I know everywhere will have everything I've been looking for that I can't find in Atlanta. So I thought, this is a fun adventure. And he was amazing. He had been to New York a bunch of times. And I'd only been a few times. So he took me to all these different gourmet stores. Dean and DeLuca, and Balducci's, and Zabar's, and this is back in the heyday when those stores were just on fire and amazing, and Gourmet Garage, and we come out of every one of them, nobody had a carbon steel crate pan. I know, I was like, what? I can't believe this. We walked out, I think of Gourmet Garage, and I said, I can't believe we're here, and we can't find the pan, and he said, well, you know what? I know this place that'll have it. Let's get a cab, and that really spoke to me in that moment. It sort of hit me like wow, he has so much faith in this one business. So we get in the cab and I just kind of filed that feeling away. We get in the cab and we go down to Bridge Kitchenware and we walk in and it's dusty and dirty and grumpy old Fred Bridge is sitting behind the counter and he barely even talks, you know, but he had everything. Hmm. I mean, it was like a chef's playland. So we shop in there for an hour and a half. We got our crepe pan. I got a couple of knives and We walked out, and it was like a lightning bolt. I said, Scott, this is it. I want to have a store like this in Atlanta. Hmm. I wanted to be that resource for people in Atlanta to really find what they were looking for and to talk to people who are. So, you know, I said, forget the dust and the dirt. I'm going to leave that behind. But I want to be that resource, to be that culinary spark for people in this city. Wow. That was the moment. And I, I swear it was like a lightning bolt to me. Hmm. I didn't know how, when, or where, or what, but I knew that was my calling.
1: And it's such a weird time, you know, when the world, I'm sure, just was still such a vast place. Like, the internet had not shrunk the distance of, no. of the earth. I mean, there was us. really no
0: online shopping then. This no. was November of 1993. I mean, you what, so
1: the internet wasn't born yet. Oh, well, yeah, and you'd still, I mean, you maybe had, like, a catalog here and there, but it wasn't. Yeah. oh, yeah. But was there anything, like, specialty specifically for culinary or uh. gourmet? There was—I'm
0: not sure when Chef's catalog started. There wasn't a lot. Yeah. Th- there was. Um, there was. Um, uh, here we go again. That almost. Uh, what was the name? There's another business in New York that had a catalog that was um, like one of the only other resources.
1: Sorry, can't yeah. think of the name. Nah, right you're now. fine. Yeah, but it's a—it's—it's uh, it's so. Interesting, you know, like just to to think of, you know, what it actually, if you needed something. J.B.
0: Prince. J.B.
1: Prince. That was it. Awesome. Yeah.
0: These mo- these milestone birthdays that are coming up, you know, they make yeah. you forget
1: all kinds of stuff. Yeah. But, uh, but man, just to think about, like whether you needed a crepe pan or, yeah. or just something like a rubber spatula, you know, it wasn't just like, well, Amazon, it'll be here in two days. No. Like, you actually got, I mean, well, in New York, you're probably walking on foot, maybe yeah. getting a cab, going right. to the one place that sells it. Doing the whole thing again, coming back home, and now you have the tool. Yeah. You know, like that is such a foreign process. Nowadays, yeah. Yeah. You know, I know. For the most part. But Which
0: is a challenge for business, by the way. Yeah. I'm sure we'll get into that but in a little bit. I was going to say, <laughs> but,
1: you know, so like you, you have this experience and you're working at Harry's and then you have this lightning bolt moment. Yeah. So, where, where so you, do you have the idea for Cook's Warehouse then? I mean, uh, other than, you know, you're figuring out where and, When and how. So
0: I had the idea then, like I was going to have a gourmet store in Atlanta. Yeah. That was solid. Now, the when part came a little bit later. I sort of maturated on that, I guess, marinated on that for a while. And it was um, September of 1994, over Labor Day weekend. I was down at the beach with some friends, and I was walking on the beach with um, my friend Dahl, and she said, what are you going to do next? And it was in that moment that I said, you know what? I have been thinking about this business for almost a year and I'm going to go home and do it. Hmm. So another pivotal moment that I said, okay, it's time to just get on with it. I keep thinking about it, but at some point I just have to go. So Hmm. I came home and I got busy. I was writing my business plan. I was looking for a location, uh, trying to think about fun. Like I didn't know anything. Wow. Ground zero. I knew nothing. Who, who, how do I order the first thing? Who do I contact? <laughs> what sales reps? And I found my way. I mean, I, in, in six months, so that was September, Labor Day weekend, 1994. And I opened the first Cook's Warehouse March 15th, 1995.
1: And this is in Midtown?
0: In, on Amsterdam Avenue, right over here, three yeah. quarters of a mile down the road. Oh, wow. Uh, dead end street. But that was a very vibrant area at the time. Um, Shoemaker's Warehouse was down there, and Red Light Cafe, and it was really on fire. All the businesses were busy, and it was yeah. really hopping. There's still a great some, spot.
1: yeah. There's still like some little windows, like glimpses back into what that little area felt like. It's all, it's yeah. all kind of like shrouded by trees and you know yeah. Piedmont Park Beltline and everything else that's kind of springing up around it. I but know you can kind of get a glimpse of what it felt like, what you're like, what you're describing. I yeah. can imagine that just being like that's the place that you went on a yeah. Friday night or just well, yeah, if you wanted to go yeah, out on the weekend. Yeah. If you wanted to get out and yeah. that's the area you lived in. Like that's where you went.
0: Yeah, it yeah. is. That's where you went to shop. Yeah. But it's it cool. It's awesome. almost
1: cool that it's kind of hidden now. Yeah. You know, like, but everything, like yeah. there's still some stuff there, which is pretty cool. Yeah. But, um, so you, so
0: yeah, so I wrote the business plan and, um, pulled some financing together and found a location and found all the inventory and opened all in six months.
1: Wow. You like your story is what every millennial like dreams of having yeah. for like their <laughs> business idea. So like six months, and then I like I just started. Yeah,
0: Care- careful what you dream <laughs> for, right? Careful <laughs> sure. what you wish for.
1: Sure, sure. <laughs> if
0: anybody explained to me what the next three and a half years of my life would look like, I would have said, "Are you kidding me? I'm going to keep my day job. Well, I'm just going to keep working oh, and get paid <laughs> for sure."
1: And but that's what I want to know. Like, tell me about like so. I mean, you get through six months, and you got financing, and you open the location over on Amsterdam, and but. But tell me about like the early years of the business. Like, yeah. What was it like?
0: It was painful. So so back to the, an important story to tell, the financing part. I wrote my business plan. And oh, my gosh, this guy, John Nagy, who was working at Harry's with me. He was in a, the accounting department, the finance department. He helped me with my pro forma for the business plan. And I ran into him last week at my Peachtree Station store. Oh and I hadn't seen him in 20 years. It was oh, so great. awesome. I know. But he literally did the pro formas for my business plan. Wow. But I was turned down eight times by banks. Wow. Big banks. I went to them. Oh, yeah, they were like, oh, cute little girl, whatever. (laughs) It sounds like a great idea, but we're not putting a penny behind that. Wow. Right? So I go to my friend, um, Cece Coffee owns Natural Body, and I said, Cece, I want to do this. You know, I've got a great idea. I have this plan put together, and I need help with the funding. And so she said, well, let's just get in the car and go see my banker, Steve King at Bank Atlanta. And it was like that. It was, you know, it's all about the connections and the relationships you build along your path that lead you to the next opportunity. Man. So he, he wrote an SBA loan for me, but he, you know, then he brought up the collateral, the C word. Yeah. <laughs> the collateral. What did the collateral look like, like? I said rent and a you know, car payment. That didn't work.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Laughed <laughs> at me.
0: So my grandmother co signed on the loan.
1: Wow.
0: Right cannot fail right
1: yeah that's a big deal Mimi's
0: house was on the line and it was it was such a gift unbelievable and I had three different people who I had met over the years who believed in me who wrote a check and said here's some money pay me back when you can man I know
1: that's what started Cook's Warehouse that
0: is what started Cook's Warehouse wow on a wing and a prayer
1: That's awesome. (laughs) And now, and you're still cranking along, Mary. There's so, there's so, we need like three podcasts with you to like uncover every, all of the amazing details of what almost didn't happen. But, but yeah, I mean, so I I mean, I want to get an idea of like, you know, you have this business and you know, there's really nothing else like it at the time.
0: No, there's nothing else like it. Well, there were actually, I had more, I had more um, independent competition at that point in time. Than I do today. I'm the only independent gourmet store left in Atlanta. But there was heavy-duty design, kitchen fair, chef. um, I think there were one or two others. Plus, there was rolling pin, lectors. Macy's Cellar was much bigger than it used to be. So there actually was more competition. Interesting. And now it's all... And it was almost easier. We were all good friends, and we referred business to one another, and everybody kind of specialized in something different. And I did cooking classes from the start because I wanted to make sure – I wanted to sell great tools at work and teach people how to cook. Yeah. Like, that's my mission. It still is today. That's what we do. Yeah. Sell great tools and teach people how to cook.
1: And, and that's what's really interesting. You know, I mean, I, you know, not trying to jump too much outside of, you know, the beginning – stages of Cook's Warehouse, but, you know, I mean, everything that you would can really buy in one of your locations, I mean, it's, th- these are the types of tools that are good enough to be in a commercial kitchen, yes, uh, or in a restaurant that is, you know, doing, you know, 500 covers a night, or, you know, just for the, the home cook, you know, I mean, yeah. it's, it's amazing to see, you know, that the, the level of wares or tools, you know, like the, the, the playing field is now like more level than I feel like it's ever been, because mm-hmm. you can have a really great knife. You know, like I use, you know, um, like Mac chef knife, you know, and you can just be a dude like me who cooks for his family, but like, that's a good enough tool for someone to have in their knife roll Who's, you know, working every night of the week. Absolutely. But but I love that that's the approach that you've taken is like, you've really bridged the gap between industry and, you know, the more domestic side. But then, I mean, the cooking class, you know, vertical as it is like that, that's such that, I mean, that's like the X factor of your business. Like, it's just really cool. But, um, but, yeah, you know, one of the – I guess one of, like, the side questions I want to know is – so, I mean, this is 1995. Yes. And you guys obviously know that the Olympics are coming to town. Oh, I know. Yeah. So what in the world was, like what, – what was, like, the buzz like, you know?
0: There was a – I mean, there was a lot of buzz and lead-up about the Olympics and, and uh, how exciting it was, and it brought a ton of people to the city, and it literally turned the faucet off for business for
1: two weeks. Yeah. I mean, there I was, was going to say, like, it's it just got to be like there, there's just an Olympic siphon just yeah. coming yeah. and it just lasts and lasts and lasts. <laughs> I can only imagine what. The, and everybody yeah. who lives here, they're probably like, just hunker down. Uh, yeah. Just don't open the door unless you need to. Right. Like, don't leave.
0: <laughs> a lot of people just left and, and, oh, and rented their houses out, too, and made a fortune. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I can so only imagine. Was good. Yeah. But it was not good for business. I'm glad it was only two weeks. It was very exciting. And I I just said, you know, you just have to embrace it. Go to some of the games and participate and enjoy it. And forget about the fact that you're making zero money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is hard to do when you've just started out. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. But, but man, so, like, when you open in 95, like, just give me an idea, like, what was, like, the atmosphere like? What was the energy like at Cook's Warehouse? And you, and this is when you have one location. So. Yeah,
0: so one location. And immediately, and there are literally customers. There are friend, good, dear friends I have today that were some of my very first customers. Wow. People who found me. Um, and they're through and through gourmet enthusiasts, they love food, they love cooking. And it's such an honor to say that, you know, I have customers for 23 years now, that still shop with me, but it was sparse traffic was sparse. It's a dead end street. I'd get great traffic on the weekends. But the cooking school really saved me talk about that x factor. And I'd love to say that I was really a business genius, and I did the cooking school initially because I thought that was going to be great for my business model. That's really not why I did it. I did it because I wanted to make sure that people had an opportunity to learn how to cook and to be around the table together and to have the experiences like I had growing up, eating together as a family and with friends, and to not be eating lean cuisines. You know, if you think about the 90s and some of the push for mechanized commercial frozen food, and oh yeah. there was a lot of that going on.
1: Like Wow Chips? Remember
0: yeah. that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Lean ling- w- Cuisine was really big then. Yeah, I, remember I remember that.
1: Lean Cuisine, and then, oh, man, what was the other one? Healthy Choice. Yeah. I was like, this is the way that the world needs to be eating right now. And yeah. So, so We weren't very smart yeah, back then, were I know. we? No. So yeah. I wanted to
0: inspire people to do for themselves. And the cooking school really saved my business. I mean, I could have a $50 sale for the entire day and then a sold-out cooking class, and it made the day.
1: Man. What, um, what was a popular cooking class back, back in, back it back then? Like what, what was the thing that people saw Julia child cooking or, yeah. I, or, or what what was it? Like that everybody wanted to say, like, I know how to do that.
0: Yeah. So it was, I mean, if you think about some of the restaurants back then, Ciboulette, amazing restaurant. And Michael Lotto was one of my first instructors. Um, and he's doing incredibly well now. He's in Charleston he's got fig and, um, yeah. other great restaurants, um, but he was one of the starting chefs. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the, like, Catherine King and uh, Annie Quattrano and just people who came in and did great food, aspirational food, you know, but food that was also approachable. We had some great – we had uh, Jean Castel who came in and did French cooking, and people loved that. I mean, they just love to learn it was a time when people would go out to restaurants and have very unique experiences, but they didn't really have the opportunity to learn how to do it. I mean, that was literally the year, I think the same year, maybe that food network was born. So you weren't besides Julia child and Justin Wilson and a few others on TV. You weren't, you didn't have a lot of options for learning. Yeah. Unless you went to culinary school.
1: Yeah. So I, uh, you know, it's, it's so interesting, you know, thinking about what it was like to learn how to cook. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I grew up in and out of restaurants. Both my parents have worked in the industry. And that was always just knowledge that was just, it, it was it was readily available for me to have. Mm-hmm. If I had a question, it could be answered. If I needed a tool, it was given to me because it was there. You know, like, I there was always a, a stand mixer in the kitchen. You know, like I didn't have to worry about, like, needing anything by hand, you know, but not everybody had that. So, like, thinking of trying to cook and you're not comfortable in the kitchen yeah. or let alone have all of the you know, the, the tools to actually make something happen. Like you've got to like actually have that educational aspect, you know? And then like the, the bug is from, you know, watching a cooking show or a cooking competition or something. So I, I can only imagine that it's, you know, from just from the education side of things, it's, it's so crucial for someone to actually just get comfortable enough, you know, to, to purchase like a real knife, yeah. you know? It's so like, yeah. cause I'm going to True. cut root vegetables, for the first time right. by myself. And not just <laughs> right. go buy them peeled and you know diced from Whole Foods. Yeah. It's a big moment. It is. It's a big moment. Yeah.
0: It is a big moment. And having having the right tools is so key to success and to fun
1: mm-hmm. and
0: expediency, yeah. right? All of that in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many people that would come in and talk to me about cooking and they'd say, Oh, I'm not a good cook. I burn everything. And I said, Well, what are you cooking on? And it was some thin you know really thin gauged not necessarily high quality pan but it's just what they knew. Well of course you burn everything because you have no opportunity not to. <laughs> really, precisely. right? So the tools yeah. you use really make a big difference. It's no no different than a, a surgeon or a carpenter or a plumber or anybody else. You don't go to your job with an inferior tool.
1: Yeah. Man, so you know you're um, like I again like I'm I'm just like I'm really trying to like put myself in the space of being a business owner and having your experience in the mid nineties and you know, the, the, but the business, it, it continues to grow, you know? So, I mean, we're tech, we're talking 1995, 96. I mean, so 20 plus years to today, you know, like what, what was like the moment that you knew that like, this is this is really something here like what was it that kind of spurred (laughs) you know well I mean obviously the location moved from its original location but you know where did you expand to from one location to two like replicate the model now you're serving a different part of the city like when did all that happen
0: so um you know you asked about the first few years they were certainly painful because it was really lean I mean I had you know I was going to be making money after the first year in my mind right and although everybody said it takes three to five years no matter what which I didn't well not for me right (laughs) we all have this this optimism which is good ignorance is bliss in some respects especially when you're starting a business because if you knew what you were signing up for you might not do it so you just go through it and you know you work 10 times harder and you do whatever it takes to make it work and about three years it took about three years before I started making a profit And that's when, and I'd been working 24-7 the entire time, and and I thought, the space next door to me, so I had 2,500 square feet, and the person who was leasing the space next door to me was going to move. And I was thinking, I really feel like I can expand, and the cooking school was very popular, so I wanted to have another opportunity to do classes, maybe even bigger classes or two classes at the same time. And... Um, So it was important to grab that space. So the the opportunity came when the business next door to me was they were leaving. And so that space was going to become available. And I knew if I didn't get it then, then it would be another five years probably before I would have the opportunity to expand. So not necessarily ready to bite that off and, and double my business at the moment. But it was an opportunity I really felt like I had to take advantage of. So I raised more money and expanded into the next space and went from 2,500 square feet to 2,000 square feet, and that was back in the year 2000, and uh, then doubled the size of the business, Wow! and ran two cooking schools concurrently on some nights, and really big private events on other nights, and uh, put in a much bigger uh, uh, cooking school kitchen, which is designed more like what you see today in the stores than the original one. It was much more modest. It was more like this little demonstration kitchen up here in the front. Right. But uh, so that was, that was the first expansion. And then uh, Doug Bryant, who I'm Sherlock's Wine Merchant, he and I met through a mutual friend, Linda Allison. And she was teaching wine classes for us at the time. And she introduced me to Doug. And Doug was looking for space in Midtown. He wanted to expand his wine business. So we, we talked about uh, possibly having you know, coexisting in my store to have, to start selling, for us to start selling wine via Sherlock's Wine Merchant. So it would have been the first shop-in-shop concept probably ever, or close to it. And so... Um, We couldn't do it in that space because it was too close to residences. As a crow flies is how the law is written, and there were houses right behind us. Even though they were up a very steep kudzu embankment, they were still there. So we couldn't sell alcohol in that location. Oh, wow. So Doug came back to me, I don't know, weeks or a month or so later, and he said, Hey, I found a space in Brickhaven that I think would be great for a store. Do you want to do a store together there? And I thought, Whoa, you know, now we're talking about a second location, I think it's probably time, but it was a little bit scary and daunting. And he, it's so funny. He said, Well, we'll just take one bite of the elephant at a time. That was the first time I'd heard that phrase. That's a dangerous phrase because you can actually eat an entire elephant. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's how the second Cook's Warehouse opened. Wow. It was really out of motivation. It was with um, to do this concept with Doug. And so we had Sherlock's Wine Merchant in the Cook's Warehouse under the same roof. And it was a great, you know, perfect marriage of food and
1: wine. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, especially, I mean, it's great when you're drinking wine, but you can also cook with wine. Yeah. It's like, well, hey, this is a tool as much as it is a beverage. Okay? Exactly. Yeah. That's uh, yeah, that that's brilliant. Yeah. That's brilliant.
0: So then that worked really well, and we opened another store in downtown Decatur, and that was 2005. And um, then 2006, I went online. That was the next expansion. Wow. And I had been online. I had had CooksWarehouse.com all along, like from... My brother was in technology, and in 1998, I actually started my first website. It just wasn't a retail website, and he helped me with that whole part of it, and he's a partner in um, CooksWarehouse.com today. So we started the retail part of CooksWarehouse.com in 2006. Yeah. And in 2011, because East Cobb had been my number one requested expansion location, I opened the, the store in East Cobb in 2011.
1: Wow. Man, so that that's just such, I mean, that, that's such amazing growth to think of a retail store, you know, where, I mean, the common tale these days is if you're retail, best of luck to you. It's almost an endearing thing <laughs> right. to say of like, I work in retail, you're like, oh, you know. And
0: I know. Well, yeah. And it's the last five years have been harder than my first 17 there's I only no imagine. question. No question about it. And it's it, a completely
1: different world. Well, and it, it's just, uh, I mean, you talk about the internet, e-commerce, mm-hmm. you know, the, the way that it has completely remapped everyone's brain and how they approach, like, I have this money and I want to buy this thing, but now the path in which those two are exchanged is nothing. I mean, I remember it was such a big deal. To get a package in the mail from something that you ordered out of a catalog, because you had to send the, the thing, right? Like the a sheet, check. yeah, the check, <laughs> you know. And uh, I remember there were a few pla- like when I would buy CDs back in the '90s, there was a few places you could actually mail cash. <laughs> I have no idea <laughs> why you right. would do that, but, um, but it was such a big deal when you got that thing in the mail, and especially if it was something big, like it was a big deal. Yeah, like it was not it was not like a small moment, but, um, but to think of you know just the, I mean, the, the landscape of, of how shopping for the past, I mean, you talk about the f- past five years, I mean, even just the past five months, yeah. you know, like something has changed, yeah. you know, and right. something is completely different. And, but you guys have continued to grow. I mean, and I, I mean, again, like I, the, the big thing on, on the Atlanta Foodcast is, you know, I, I say that everyone that I have on the show and, you know, again, whether it's my opinion or not, I mean, I would say very objectively, you guys are the people who are making Atlanta the greatest city for eaters. And the Cook's Warehouse, I mean, you can break it apart in however many ways that you want, whether it's just the retail side or you're coming for a cooking class or, yeah. or whatever. Like, it answers that call. Yes. And you guys have stood the test of time. I mean, like, it's just amazing to me that you go all the way back to 1995. And, you're not, like, the original <laughs> location isn't there. Right. But, like, it's, it's, still, it's still a staple in Atlanta. Yes, That's amazing. which I'm grateful for. Yeah. I love
0: being a staple in the food scene in Atlanta because it's, you know, it's such a great industry. The hospitality industry is very close knit. Many people know each other and it's it's not really competitive in a there's no negativity to it, right? It's joyful competition and joyful collaboration. Yeah. And I'm grateful for every chef that supported us, they who shops here, who teaches here, who's been a part of um, this business being what it is. And it's absolutely 100% my team who's behind me that makes it amazing because when somebody walks in the store, it needs to feel approachable and delightful and they need to feel welcomed and to know that they can talk to somebody who knows what they're talking about and who is passionate about the subject matter. Yeah. And that's, that's the key to me. It's that extra level of service. I mean, you can order from Amazon all day long but you're not necessarily going to get your questions answered.
1: Sure. Yeah. And that's still a huge portion of it. And yeah, I mean again, like thinking back to, you know, you're all the way back to growing up on a farm, to working with people like Edna Lewis and Scott Peacock and Anne Quatrano and I mean, just these pillars of dining history in Atlanta. You launch a business, it's expanded, and now we're sitting at Cook's warehouse over here in Ansley and it's what's today? July ninth, twenty eighteen at, you know, in the afternoon here and um what, what, a, what a thing you've built, Mary. That's Thank amazing. Thank you. It's, it's Thank incredible. You. But So tell me about the business today.
0: Um, so business today, we've got, you know, there are a lot of people. I still get um, copious amounts of harassment about closing my Decatur location. And what I would say to everybody who lives in Decatur, that I love Decatur and loved being there um, in downtown Decatur. But the rent became unsustainable, and, you, you know, you just have to make hard decisions yeah. When you're a business person, I talk to my staff. Anybody in this room could say to you, you know, what do I say the most? How many spatulas does it take?
1: <laughs>
0: to pay for that's that, good. right? That's the, metric, that's, guys. Yeah, that's the metric. That's our metric. Yeah, that's the metric. Yeah, totally. That's what we I, sell the most of.
1: And and just like I mean, to to dip back into that, I did walk out of that. Uh, that Chipotle many times yeah. burrito in hand and then like walked directly into Cook's warehouse. Yeah. So that was like that was like the main spot for us. But yeah,
0: yeah you know, I know. Anyway, I, I, it's just a high five.
1: You know, that's yeah, all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I
0: love being in downtown Decatur, but yeah, uh, is what it is. And you can't if you can't um, sustainably stay in business, then you can't. Sure. In a certain location. So I've got the Peachtree Station location, mm-hmm. which is uh, right at uh, Johnson Ferry Road and Peachtree Industrial, and that's an awesome area. Uh, I think Ansley here is still closer to downtown Decatur, but now Decaturites have two options of stores to go to, and then, of course, the East Cobb location, mm-hmm. and then online, cookswarehouse.com, and um, we have the cooking school in all three stores. I would never do a store without a school. That is really, not only is it fundamental to my approach to the business, it's also a key part of the business. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really important to have that experiential aspect. And I think today more as equally as important today as it was when I first started Yeah. and making a big difference in the business.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think the retail side, I mean, you know, if uh, I mean, I think that question is very easy to answer for anyone. If you're, You know, looking for a Dutch oven. I mean, obviously, you know, this is a great place to come get it. If you're looking for a great gift for someone and you want a, you know, ceramic baking stone, like this is a great place. And again, like it's, I'm a large proponent of supporting local businesses. And uh, but again, like I think the the thing that is so interesting to me is that a very large portion of what most people have, have talked to me about Cook's Warehouse has been that they've been to a cooking class. Yeah. And I just, but I think that's so cool. And I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe this is me just speculating, but I'd also imagine that that just has to be such an amazing, fun thing for you to watch with your past in the kitchen. Like for when you were like front of the house, not for me, maybe on the retail side, but like I belong in the kitchen Yeah. and now you've got both, but this to me, like, this is the nod to your history totally yeah. of like working in the kitchen. Yeah, and that's I awesome, especially like on the education side.
0: It keeps me connected yeah. to it. Yeah. And I love teaching. I've taught hundreds and hundreds of classes over the years, and that's yeah. still today one of the most fun yeah. parts of the job for me. Yeah. I don't do it nearly as much as I used to just because the business has expanded oh, so sure, much, but sure. but it's super fun. Yeah. And you know, we sell, we didn't talk about this either, but we also sell large appliances. Wolf, Sub-Zero, the hoods, everything that's in the kitchen. And I also had this idea and started this from the very beginning. I thought if I'm going to have it here, why wouldn't I sell that too? Yeah,
1: that's actually what I came in today. Just I, just, in I was going to pick up a Sub-Zero. A Sub-Zero, for, right. and just for, Yeah, just, you know, <laughs> just put it in the back of the car. Most people but, don't yeah. know that part about this business.
0: <laughs> but back to what you are saying about a Dutch oven, we, we sell things to people based on who they are, how they like to cook, and what their lifestyle is. And it's, it's not all equal. You know, so maybe you need a $15 cast iron skillet or maybe you need a $300, you know, cast iron iron skillet. I mean, it just really, it's all about who you are and what you do. And Mm -hmm. I think that's one thing that my crew does incredibly well is they figure out who people are. Yeah. You know, what lights them up and how do they want to cook and how do they want to entertain or how do they want to give a gift yeah. but it, it's not equal for everybody no
1: at all well and you know I, I people come to to our house for dinner and they see a you know dark gray le Creuset dutch oven sitting on my stove and they're like what do you need that for and I was like look there's tons of practicality to that like I bake sourdough and oh, yeah. my my wife is a lovely woman and she recognized what I was baking sourdough bread in it, I mean, it was working, but, like, it could have been so much better. And then just if you're going to invest in the right tool, a glazed Le Creuset Dutch oven was – that's the tool that's never going to fail you. And, honestly, we've had it for probably – more than five years now.
0: Oh, and you'll and, have it for the next and, and like, 50. I don't
1: give it to my kids and then they can give it to theirs yes. and then someone else can use it as a doorstop. I yes. don't care, but like, it's never going to fail. <laughs> exactly. You know, but there is a time and a place for something of that magnitude. Yeah. And sometimes it just takes kind of, you know, I, I think you kind of have to break the stereotype for some people of like, look, it's not like some, you know, unachievable thing, yeah. you know, but, um, but it's great. I mean, like there, things are more quote unquote specialty, not, just because it's, you know, it's not like you're driving some, you know, Italian sports car. Yeah. You know, it's not just meant to be flashy. <laughs> right. Like, it actually has tons of practical use to it. Absolutely. So, yeah. But And it's you huge. can,
0: you know, some people, it's hard for them to make that transition from, oh, well, I can just buy this for $15 at the grocery store. Well, yeah, you can, but the results aren't going to be nearly as good, and you can eat that, uh, you know, nonstick light surface <laughs> along the way yeah. until you get another one <laughs> exactly. next year and you can exactly. replace it every year yep. or you can, you know, buy a great nonstick skillet for 90 to $120 once or 60 if it's on sale to $120 yeah. and with a lifetime warranty.
1: Yeah. I know. It's and huge. the results are incredible. Yeah but i mean i think it's cool that you have you know such such knowledgeable ready staff to really educate people on that but you know the i mean again like going back to the the cooking school side of things like how many cooking classes do you guys actually do on a weekly basis
0: Oh, gosh. Weekly, a hard, we do about 800 a year between the three stores.
1: Okay, that's a lot. So <laughs> yeah. So divide that by 52. Yeah,
0: exactly. Almost every day. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, like kids camp five days a week, plus we have classes in the evening. So there are a lot of days that we have two classes.
1: Yeah. And there, there, there's been like multiple episodes of the show where, you know, we get on the subject of, you know, talking about, uh, you know, just, just like the landscape of, you know, farmer's markets. And like, we talk about your DeKalb farmer's market. Yeah. And a lot of people say, like, I've had several people tell me, they're like, you know, that was actually, I've, I've been on a few first dates at the YordiCab farmer's market. And I was like, but you know, to me, like I would take someone to a cooking class. Like that's a great idea. Absolutely. You know? like so you talk about whether you want to be around someone, exactly. see how patient they are. Yeah. There you go.
0: <laughs> so date night cooking classes are some of our most popular
1: yeah. Do you guys actually like okay. put together? They're like they're kind of meant to be date like, night. Date night. Yeah. That's amazing.
0: Yeah, and they're super popular. They almost great. always sell out. Yeah. Knife skills 101. That's number one. Yeah. Has <laughs> been for 23 years.
1: Am I the only one that it, it's really hard to watch someone like really fumble with a knife, and you're like, oh my gosh, like please don't hold it that <laughs> I know. way. And, like, I love it when people hold, like, they're holding the handle like it's a baseball bat. Yeah. Oh, like, oh, yeah. My oh, my gosh. Please don't do that.
0: It can be so yeah. much easier than that. I know. It's
1: like, oh, that's why you need to just get over to Cook's Warehouse. Like,
0: yeah. we, we What we say is we cut your prep time in half, which it does. Yeah. If but you'll just let go and let yourself sure. n- learn new muscle memory. Yeah.
1: And it's it's fun. I mean, like, especially if you do something that's more of, like, the 101. Like, you know, cooking eggs in a stainless steel pan and not a nonstick. Right. You know, like, it can be done. Oh, yeah. It can totally be done. Like, don't Not worry without about fat well, hey, hey it can that, be done. that's what makes it so good, I right? Know. Like full-fat butter, man. Like, why would you want to cook it without Fry fat? an egg? Like fry <laughs> an egg and just make it right. right. But, um, but you, you're doing amazing things with Cookware, Cooks Warehouse, and your team is incredible. You guys have obviously expanded here online, the cooking school. It's amazing. And but there, there's one like, well, not one, but there's several other things that you have really done here in the city of Atlanta, working. In and throughout, and on the board of multiple organizations. I mean, there's a list of your accolades and just things that you've done and achieved that's uh, probably too long for me to go through. But you've, <laughs> right. you've, you've been involved in so many amazing things here in the city, Mary. And yeah. But just talk to me about some of those, like some of the ones that, you know, just like you, you're really just excited about. I mean, again, like I, I know plenty that you've done in the past, but I mean, there, there's just a there's a lot that you've really put a lot of work into.
0: Well, I think it's really important to be a part of your community. You know, we're, if we just roll through and do what we do in isolation or on our own or just with our families and just a few friends, then our community is not what it could be. And community has what has made my business sustainable over the years, and it's what fills me up. I think that, um, and we all have an obligation to give back, really. I feel that in my heart that it's really important to be a part of what's happening. So um, there have been quite a few and uh, the two that are closest to my heart. I She's just being really modest folks. <laughs> um, I just rolled off, um, as past chair of the Atlanta community food bank. So I started with a food bank in 2000 on the advisory board and then spent the last seven years on the governing board and uh, culminating in the chair role and then a uh, past chair. So, uh, I just love that organization and what they do. They're one of the most fundamental um, organizations that supports so many other organizations in our city. I mean, we work with 700 different agencies, distribute food through 29 counties and um, 58 million pounds of food in a year. I mean, just incredible work. So being a part of that has been a gift. And we, in the beginning, in 2000, we started supporting through the Simple Abundance cooking classes. Where a chef donates their time and food and we donate the space. And the Atlanta Community Food Bank takes the class registrations and 100% of the profits and we put on classes that just raise funds. And then, Hmm. you know, help raise awareness and give back through cooking. Yeah. To people who need food. Yeah. It just makes so much sense to me.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, the the food bank is such a huge huge side of things i mean the, the industry that my parents work in you know i mean it's part of i mean just culinary industry but how they work with a food bank as well i mean it just answers two things i mean hungry and food waste right and the the work of of the atlanta food bank i mean again um i mean i i just th- that that'd be something i would really love to to point more people to do it you know just i mean it, it's interesting when you start really going down the rabbit trail of like let's follow like how much food waste you actually produce. You know, you go through that equation in your own home. Right. You're like, Oh, I'm a terrible person. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I can need to work on myself, but, um, but compost soil is
0: the new gold. Exactly. Yeah.
1: (laughs) But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's incredible. But I mean, again, like I think, um, you know, just, uh, so much of the work that you've done to give, to really just give back to the city of Atlanta, the way that people are approaching food and knowledge of the culinary industry, um, I, I I just love what you've achieved. And I think your story is just so amazing. And I hope you write a book one day because I would (laughs) love to read it.
0: (laughs) Wow. Thanks.
1: I think it'd be super cool, but, um, but one of the other questions I have for you, um, I just, you know, this isn't a question I normally ask, but like, I want to hear from you. Like, what do you think it is that makes Atlanta one of the greatest cities to be an eater in?
0: Oh, wow. Well, I mean, the culinary scene is incredible. In Atlanta, the talent we have, the chefs that we have, I mean, Jerry, think about some of the foundation with with Pano, Jerry Clascala, Kevin Rathbun, quattrano And and then you start looking at the the chart of how many amazing chefs have come through their organizations and down into their own businesses, and they continue to train and build talent. I mean, the ethnic diversity here, the amazing, Buford Highway, um, just the talent and the fresh food that we have. I mean, you know, it's summer almost all the time. (laughs) We don't have much of a spring and fall anymore. I miss that part. But we just have amazing farmers, incredible resources and food, people who are truly engaged and want to serve fresh and local. And that makes it an amazing city to be in. Yeah. I mean, I'm proud, like, um, the Mart is next, or actually, it's Wednesday. It starts on Wednesday. So all my colleagues from around the country are coming in to shop at America's Mart and meet with vendors, and all the vendors are in town. And I'm so proud of our city and all the restaurant opportunities. And people totally. email me and call me, oh, my, where should I go? What should I do? Who should I, sit? You know, where should I eat? And there's just this incredible list, amazing list.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. Someone's going to call you when they're coming into town. They're going to be like, hey, I need a crepe pan. And yeah. It's gonna like co- totally go back. You're like, dude, yeah. I got you covered. <laughs> I, got I got one, and I'll keep it like at the register for you. My buyer
0: but- will tell you. I've said this to him a hundred times, but sort of uh, tongue in cheek, but not totally. If we're ever out of stock on a crepe pan, that's it.
1: He's out. (laughs) Lock the doors, everybody. We have one right here for you. We've failed (laughs) (laughs) if we don't have that damn crepe pan. That's right. Oh, man. But, no, I mean, it's so cool that you say that. Uh, I I caught up with uh, Judith Winfrey from Peach Dish. she's incredible. And she has an idea that I love. And we're going to figure out a way to do this with the food cast or something. But, um, like, an Atlanta restaurant family tree.
0: Yes. I think it's there. Pano did one. Like, there's oh, really? one from that restaurant group, and it was amazing. I think it might have even been in the paper um, a year or maybe two years ago. David Avis would probably know. Um, He's the director of operations there. But mm-hmm. yeah, having one from all the restaurant tours, oh, it would be oh yeah fabulous. And we'll
1: get uh, we'll get Kyle Brooks, uh, Black Hat Tips, to illustrate it. Yeah. it would be great. But I mean, it's, I that would, would just be amazing. It. It, like, it's gonna have to be. Pretty large format, but it'd be so cool, and And people would buy that. Well, totally, and but I just think it's amazing. It it really is. It's indicative to the industry of you know, like people who do it right, like they help one another, you know. But people who have made their way and cut their teeth in the industry, they come from great people, and they continue to do great things, and that's your story, 100%. So it's. I
0: just feel like I, I was. I mean, coming up in the industry from a young age. You know, I started at 18 working in the the restaurant industry and it has helped me be that person too. I mean, it's, it certainly was within me growing up in the family that I had and that spirit to give back, but it's all about the industry. Yeah. And, you know, and if you think about the giving kitchen and what they're doing and giving back to the own industry that everybody asks of, you know, I mean, people don't understand that restaurants are asked 10 times a day, every day, probably 50 times a day, every day for something Exactly. to support their this, to support their that. And, chefs do i mean they give of their time we give of everything all the time and now that's a great organization that helps actually give back to the industry that just gives to everybody
1: yeah talk about another amazing thing happening in oh. Atlanta. but unbelievable uh, yeah but mary it was such a pleasure to have you on the show thank oh, my you goodness. Like, thank you again, very much talk I'm about another honor uh, i mean I, I feel so lucky in my seat to, to have the conversations that i do and i just love your story and Um, again, like I just, I'm so glad that we had a chance to sit and do this, but just with the next, like, I don't know, like 60 minutes or you can go on for as long as you like, but tell us what's happening next with you cook's warehouse cooking school, uh, expansion into, you know. the the internet of space are going to start selling crate pans on the moon (laughs) you know but what's next for you guys
0: crate pans need to go to the moon (laughs) Um, yeah I mean just to continue to grow the business where there's opportunity and, and looking for strategic opportunity is really important and that's what I'm interested in doing I think there is opportunity in this industry right now for continued growth I think that Uh, real food is becoming more meaningful to people again maybe i'm have on rose-colored glasses but i kind of like to live that way i'm optimistic that people care about what they eat and how it's prepared and who's preparing it for them or what farmer's growing it for them and so i think that the you know the appetite for having great tools that work and learning how to cook is going to continue
1: yeah Well, Mary, thank you again for being on the show. It was such a pleasure having you.
0: Thank you. It was so fun and an honor for me, too, and I love what you're doing.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Thanks. Many thanks go out to Mary Moore for joining us here on the Atlanta Foodcast for this episode. If you'd like to learn a little bit more about the Cook's Warehouse, go ahead and check out their website at cookswarehouse.com. You can order online or even just go ahead and visit one of their brick and mortar locations, which is my favorite and my biggest recommendation for you. I'm a regular over at the Ainsley Mall location, and you just might actually see me there uh, if you were listening to the episode, maybe even picking up a Sub-Zero fridge or just something that's you know fun that I just... Made Maybe don't even need for my kitchen, but who knows. But until next time, I cannot wait to bring you guys more stories from local chefs, culinary entrepreneurs, and people who are making Atlanta the greatest city for eaters. I'm your host, Ben Getz. Thanks again for listening to the Atlanta Foodcast.